Hello. <laughs> Hello. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Good How morning. are you doing today? <laughs> God. Mm. Ah. So. Mm. Well, the stars at night shine so big oh, and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. Yeah. 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 <laughs> God. What um, what uh, a, a, a week this has been. What a week. Big uh, week. Yeah. It Huge week. was really horrible for everyone. Every, no, I'm speaking on behalf on. of no, everybody in Texas. It, it was, was fun. It's like camping. It's not. It was so not. Yeah. <clears throat> but it's uh you know Dan, it's been a week. Why don't you why don't you I mean if you want this is your show. Um <laughs> and I'm gonna just go wherever you want to go this week. Okay. I'll walk with you, I'll hold your hand. Yeah. Till we're just we got sweaty hands. Tell tell me uh so we <laughs> God damn it. Last uh last Tuesday, which would be I believe the sixteenth of February, you were a few days into uh, the result of some weather events and uh, municipal malpractice in the state of Texas. Yeah. And it sounds like it didn't get super better. No, I mean, it, it actually got worse. Um, I was really lucky because in the beginning, okay, it's a, for, for our international. Take, take, take us, let's, let, this is going to be an epic, epi- epic episode. <laughs> take us back as far as you want to go. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit mute and drink this iced coffee and, and listen to you. Okay. Remind, remind us what the, <clears throat> what the heck is going on. Yeah. So <laughs> going what, on in Texas these days. What happened is last weekend about we got a, or last, last week, we got a, I think it was Sunday, wasn't it? We got a freak kind of Arctic vortex, I think they called it, where across the whole country there was extraordinarily cold weather. But for whatever reason in Texas, it wound up doing something that it does very, very occasionally, maybe once a year, maybe once every few years, and that it snowed. Um, and that's unusual to happen for sure in Austin. It happens a little more frequently in the northern parts of Texas, but uh, we've had that before. And that wasn't the big issue. The big issue was not only did it snow, but that the temperatures got really, really, really low down into the single digits across most of the state. And because of a lack of of planning and some people would say, um, you know, um, a desire to just not spend money where it needs to be spent. Uh, most of Texas, uh, the power infrastructure here was not winterized. So in Texas, we have pretty much all of the kinds of energy sources that are anywhere. We've got coal, we've got gas, we've got nuclear or nuclear, as you say, and mm-hmm. we also have um, renewable energy, such as solar and wind turbines. Wind is a minority contributor, but that's what Fox glommed onto as why why the Green New Deal is terrible and right. renewable power will never work. Right, but in, in, in I don't fact, know if you saw Tucker Carlson was real mad about what you about you guys complaining. My understanding is that one of the few places, one of the few sources that did continue to work was the wind. Um, and of course we didn't know that a week ago. We didn't really understand anything, especially those of us <laughs> who were like- small hands. Li- yeah. <laughs> who were living through it. But uh, it, it turned out that they all failed basically for a variety of different reasons. The nuclear plant failed because, of, I, my understanding is there was a couple reasons. One is the water pipes that were bringing the water that it uses to cool, maybe they froze or something, but then also there were some sensors that 
shut down that caused uh, it to shut down for safety. And then mm-hmm. the many of the wind turbines froze because they weren't winterized. Of course, they have wind turbines in very, very cold climates and they work just fine because those climates know that it's going to get cold. So they build in the things that defrost them. We didn't have that. In then, San Francisco, a lot of the windows don't have screens. Right. Because... Uh, we hadn't had screens in our house for 20 years. And the only time we would use like ad hoc, like the kind of screens that you can just kind of like stick into the window. And the reason I say that is because we don't need screens mostly. You need right. screens. If you live in Gainesville, Florida, buddy, <laughs> ooh, the worst <laughs> mosquito attack I ever had was at a campground outside Gainesville. But we don't get those kinds of bugs. Right. We get sugar ants, but we don't get mosquitoes. We don't, so, but, but what I'm trying to say is if it did happen that for whatever reason, somebody dropped a mosquito bomb on our city title, <laughs> then we'd all sure as heck be figuring out how to get screens. Yeah. But even that is just a one sort of one axis anomaly. It's not like that's connected to how we also, you know, have heat or water or electric right. or whatever. And the complexities of how those things play together is, as we talked about last week, very difficult to plan for. Very, very. And in addition to that, the coal generators also failed because they got too cold. The gas had problems because th- there was freezing issues there. So in other words, all of this could have been prevented, but this kind of thing only happens in Texas like every, I don't know, like 20, 50, 100 years. It's like, it's so rare. Right. That well, it, Rick Perry says they'd rather have no no power than all that government intervention. Oh. Did you see that? No. I didn't see Rick that. Perry. Rick Perry, the guy with the, he got some cool glasses, mm-hmm. so he looked forty, and um, and he says he says, "Ooh, we we rather we don't want the government getting up on our on our grid." Right. We, um, we like it this way. We like it in the dark. We're happier this way. No. Hi, I'm a very cold libertarian. I have no water. Yeah. So what happened as a result of this was? Oh, also here's the interesting thing. Apparently, mm-hmm. the way that the Texas there's a company called ERCOT, which is I think mm-hmm. it's supposed to be a nonprofit. <laughs> I don't know that basically controls the Texas power grid. But one of the interesting things is they essentially had to turn the power grid off, I guess, in a certain way, because the stories that I kept reading were that we were minutes and seconds away from the entire power grid being not destroyed, but shut down. down They said going down for months. Months, because it would take it Months. months to bring the whole thing back up. So they basically had to turn this thing off or else we would still have no power and that like for, and that would be a, a ridiculous kind of epic disaster. So they did what they had to do. They turned the stuff off, which meant most people in Texas were without power for some weird reason. I never lost power through this whole thing. When just a week before when it snowed, we lost power for 15 hours. So I don't oh know goodness. why I had it this time. And then the week before that, we had freezing rain and we lost it then too. So I have no idea why we had power, but I was so grateful. But then what what happened was they tell you when there's no power and you're in especially, but even when you're not, when you're hitting the single digit numbers uh, or below freezing in general, they tell you to drip the faucets, right? Mm-hmm. So everyone's dripping the faucets in Texas. Uh, so what that did is that drained oh all of the water supply. And oh my god, my, talk about unintended consequences. Law of uh, what is it? Law of large numbers. Yeah, like it seems like such a good idea because then you're dealing with the axis of don't want pipe freeze. Right, you don't want them to like, burst. What, what about the axis? Yeah, it's like that old bit. I don't know if it's true about like how you know everybody takes a bathroom break in the Super Bowl at the same time and. <laughs> 
I don't I doubt that that's true, but the analogy stands. Like if right. everybody flushes at the same time. We, we flush, the shower gets cold, but you know, right. Texas flushes, you know, and uh, Austin gets a cold. <laughs> so so what, happened, what happened was all of these reservoirs that are normally full, they are what is responsible for ensuring that there's pressure enough to push the water to everybody. And the entire, I don't know about the other parts of Texas, but I know about Austin because I've learned a lot about it over the last week. All of our water is interconnected. It's one system. It's the municipality of, it's called Austin Water. And it's all connected. Everything is completely connected. And in order for, I guess they had to, they had to shut parts of it off or we just ran out of all of the pressure in the reservoirs because they were all drained from everybody dripping their faucets, which is what we were told to do for days to keep them mm -hmm. dripping because we were at single digit temperatures for a long time. And again, like when I lived in Philly, this was never an issue because everything was set up for all of this. They know that it's going to get to single digits. They know we're going to get a couple feet of snow. So everything is built that way. And then there's snow plows that come out and they ice the roads and all this other stuff. Which, of course, nothing like that's here in Texas. And also, unlike Florida, where, yeah, you have hurricanes, you get some warning that a hurricane's going to come. We got no warning about to do any of this stuff. So, basically, everyone drained all the water supply. So, then, guess what? No one has water. There are still people who don't have any water. But then, compounding that is the number of pipes that burst, the number of water heaters that exploded and failed and crashed through people's ceilings, the number of people who had those tankless water systems on the outside of their house, those are completely busted. Every <laughs> single person that I know, every single, without exception, that had a tankless water heater, all of them failed, all of them burst. Most of the oh people that I God. know had burst pipes. Most of the people that I know had burst pipes. And many people that I know are only, our water came back, I think we did three or four days without it. And it finally came back. It was a, a trickle, just a little drip on like Saturday night. Saturday, uh, Sunday morning, it was enough to wash your hands. Sunday night, it was almost enough to take a shower. Um, and I would when, say- When did you, I mean, this is this is not a bit. When did you get to the point where- you could, I'm, I'm guessing you let it, let, let the yellow mellow, but mm -hmm. at what point did you get to where you could flush the toilet? Well, we, uh, I spent three days, um, shoveling snow into buckets and taking it inside and melting it, uh, living like to, a caveman, to man. use to flush toilets. It's insane. So it, it, the saying goes, if it's yellow, let it mellow. If it's brown, yes. flush it down. And right. so, you know, we if had it's loose a, called Dr. Goose. Ooh. We had a designated toilet for the urines and that we, uh, would, <laughs> designated that we would flush less frequently. And then uh, we had- Oh, that is really smart. Thank you. And so I'm a survivalist And then you have now. like the guest bath, you mm -hmm. know, with the potpourri in it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's where you let the, um, let the, uh, your dark materials gather. Yes, his dark materials. But what I, mm -hmm. what I realized was that there are, to me now, after going through this, there, I, I had two takeaways from this. The first one is what I define now as civilization and two, what, what I'm going to do to prevent this kind of thing in the future. So the, well, not prevent it, but prevent myself having to go through it quite this way. So the first thing is to me, there are two, because it's always two things with me. Yeah, there, I was going to say. Yeah. There are two things that define civilization to me now. One of them mm -hmm. is electricity. And the second is running water that you can drink. Because we still can't drink our water. Because apparently what happens is in the in these mains, 
that all broke, by the way, all the mains broke in Austin. That's another reason why we didn't have water because- Damn, that sounds like a catastrophe. It was. I mean, not only were the people dripping and using up the reservoirs, but then all the mains broke when they froze and burst. So then they had to go around and fix all the mains. And then what happens is these mains, apparently there's pressure, uh, the water pressure inside of the mains that any little leaks or potential places in the joints or whatever- where I guess contaminants could potentially seep in, it's kept out because of the water pressure inside of those uh, tubes. But then because of the breaks and because of the reduced water pressure, I guess contaminants can potentially seep in. And because of the way municipalities work and things like that, if there's any percent chance at all that there could be a potential problem, then okay. because their goal you have is to abundance of caution, abundance yeah. of caution. They, they want to make sure that it's like Chris Traeger says the microchip has been compromised. Like the, there was a, you've got a, a vulnerability and now that's introduced. Right. Another new wrinkle. So it has, the water has to be a hundred percent safe and a hundred percent of the area for a hundred percent of the people, a hundred percent of the time, or they make you boil it. That's basically um, where it comes down to. So some areas of Austin, have been released and they said, you don't need to boil anymore. You can drink it, but it's just airing on the side of caution. So could I drink the water? I'm sure, but it, you know, they don't want you to. So we, I still got to boil it, which, but this whole thing was just such a disaster, such a nightmare that, you know, you're spending time like shoveling snow and melting it on a fire. Like that's how I was living for days. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it really sucks. And like my friend, Ryan was nice enough to say, like, do you want to take a shower at my house? Because he had water pressure because he was kind of in a more central area. So, like, just taking a shower after four or five days. Now, like, yeah, I've been camping, but it's different because when you're camping, you're going into it expecting that kind of thing. And you're not living in your own house, but just, like, mm-hmm. you've got toilets full of, like, your own crap. And you can't shower. And you're shoveling snow. And it's, like, you know, it's just really horrible and then the internet keeps going you know what i'm saying like you can't it's just no i absolutely we're do. so and dependent like, on these fragile fragile infrastructures and our lives yeah. are fragile because of it and it sucks and, and that's could, i mean like I, i'll say it i'll say the obvious out of state thing which is it's unbelievable how much we i, I want to say take it for granted yeah it's true absolutely what i'm really trying to say is like what a modern miracle it is that for really the better part of a century it feels like we've had, again, I mean, Flynn, Flynn, Flint, Michigan, like that sucks. It's horrible what happened there. But by and large, it, this, is, this has been a solved problem. I'll say it again. It's like we've lost the recipe for ice. We've forgotten <laughs> how to do any kind of infrastructure it's so in this stupid. country. It's so stupid. And I'm not just talking about like going and fixing roads and bridges, although that's part of it. But like, it's just, it's just so wild to me. And I, I bet if you, don't know, if you don't know why something's happening, assume that it's because of fear or money. Please write that down. If you don't know why something is happening or why someone is doing what they're doing, assume it's because of fear or money. Mm-hmm. In this case, I bet it's money, which is that like infrastructure does not take care of itself. It does not plan itself. It's, you know, I mean, wait till this happens with AI. It's really going to suck. Oh, I know. Like, um, I mean, when you think about that for a minute, woof, with supercomputers or um, what do they call them? Uh, not nanocomputers. What do they call those uh, crazy super, super, super duper computers? Oh, the quantum, called? quantum computing? When quantum computing really gets big, oh my God. Imagine you don't have water except it's for the rest of your life in your brain. Oh my God, Dan. It's It sounds so horrible. I mean, you know how I know you're famous now? Hmm. You're oh. on my TV. You know that? <laughs> yeah. You're on my TV. 
I was watching. I was watching Rachel Maddow, and it was one of those nights. Oh, it's so crazy! We had to tear off the script and start over. <laughs> and then I saw the name on the screen. It was Dan Benjamin, Austin podcaster. Yeah. Uh, so that's weird. So do you have I, a link for that by any chance? Uh, do I have we, a? One? I don't know if that was. I don't know if we can find a link for that. Be fun to put there. At least get a screen grab. Somebody, of, uh, uh, yeah, somebody uh, sent it to me on Twitter. I'll, I'll, I'll make a note to find that. Hold on. Um, but was that not no Wall Street Journal? Yeah. So what happened was I was I was being okay. So, sorry, during, I took you off your story. I apologize. I just wanted to say I feel you. I can't even imagine. And just from so far away, it seems like to have all these different bits of things you expect to work, not work. All failed. Just, Everything failed. But but it's a little bit like bad Wi-Fi on vacation, where you're like, bad <laughs> Wi-Fi on vacation is worse in some ways than no Wi-Fi. Yes, it's much worse. And, <laughs> yeah. And it's it's like, it's like you know, being, being married to an angry person. Like, you don't know if, if it's going to happen. And if it does, it's probably not going to be good and not very long. And and I think that's what it's like. If you don't know, like, oh, should should I go drop a deuce here? Well, I better do it in the guest bath, guest bath with a potpourri, la, la, la. Because who knows how long I, it'll be till I can flush my toilet. And then the lights might go off while I'm dropping the deuce. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just that must be, for somebody with anxiety, the idea of facing that, especially with kids in the house. And the it was... Stories about- kids really bad brutal yeah it was really bad people driving around in a car for hours just trying to stay warm well and here's the worst part of it is in in my neighborhood now i'm i'm i live in hill country uh and um i'm up on this really are big you one of the hill, hill people now i am one of the hill that we we're you know we we use uh hill folk we don't use that term anymore hill folk uh, but <laughs> yes now we now we say mountain humans mountain humans uh <laughs> so you know the problem was <laughs> i there was like 10 crashed cars on the side of the hill going up because people thought they could get up and down it and they couldn't. Did you see the, you see the video of and they the crashed. truck sliding sideways down the street? Yes. And oh my uh, God, it's insane. So I have four by four in my truck, but I don't have snow tires. And the problem is, I mean, I, I grew up in- I think ice, solid ice obviates a lot of the benefits of various vehicles. Yeah. And I, I so I took the truck out and I put a little video up on YouTube of it. I You know, I'll link that too. Um, um, where I was just driving around and, you know, I went to the edge of the hill and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not going to try and go down that just based on the way it was slipping around the way that it was. And, you know, so the problem was then when the trucks that were going to put the gravel and the salt down so that we could get up and down the hill, they couldn't get up and down the hill because there were too many crashed cars on the hill. So it's like one thing after another was just failing, 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 failing. And, um, just super frustrating. So it's, you know, and then it's almost like, like the universe has this sick sense of humor because like, as soon as this stuff is done, we're getting this beautiful, clear, it's 70 degrees outside right now. It's clear. It's beautiful. We have this like great sun. It's amazing. Texas skies. It's like, yeah. How can you do that? After you put us through well, this. And a lot of people use that. I feel like I feel like climate deniers or whatever we're calling them nowadays let, love to use those kinds of things as an example. So like you see a news report, like I say, on cable TV of like somebody out on the street and it's beautiful sunshine. Somebody looks at that and goes, oh, yeah, it looks like there's a lot of problems there. Or somebody says, oh, look at this. I made a snowball today. So there's no such thing as, you know, warming. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, my God, you're a child. You, you so grossly, I mean, like imagine that you have stage four cancer and you have a nice view from your window. How do you parse that? Like, does that mean you're okay? It's no, I mean, like get real. There's, there's, there is stuff going on that we are not addressing. And the chickens, as Malcolm X would say, the chickens are coming home to roost. Yeah. And it sucks. 
I think that that any any rational person uh, could look at our current situation with the weather and the climate and say it's different than it was when I was a kid. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think it's impossible to argue with that. I don't. I don't understand why people argue with that kind of thing. It, it doesn't make sense. I, I, the um, cause, okay, they want to debate no, I, the I, cause. I, I, I get why people want to debate the cause of it, but you can't deny that it's different. It's different. Like, come on. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, if, I, if I'm being um, big hearted about it and like, you know, I'm quietly trying to do a thing where I, where I am trying to understand somebody's point of view that I just, I'm not going to go like, I'm not going to get into a fight with a flat earther. I just, I only have so many cycles in life, Dan. I got, I got to fix, I got to fix my, uh, my Docker setup. I have a lot to do, but, but I am trying to be more open-minded about that. But there are times where like, I try to understand this, the, the current Senate minority leader. And like, I, I, I hate to break that all the way down to, he's just a, he's a little evil and wants judges. Like, I'm trying to understand what is Mitch McConnell's deal? Like what, what motivates him? Ted Cruz? I just don't understand that guy. I mean, and I'm trying to be big hearted about it. And the why, truth is, why are you trying to be big hearted about him? Well, no, listen, here's the thing though. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be real here for a minute. When he bounced and went to Cancun and then lied about it mm -hmm. and then kind of unlied about it mm -hmm. and then moved a box on video, you know, I have to say, I was, I felt, I want to say I felt bad for him, but there's a part of me that went, I totally understand why he did that. When Donald Trump got elected, we went to a fancy hotel in the East Bay for three nights because we needed to just be away from where we are. If I knew that I could take my kids somewhere where there was sun and hot water, I'm not defending him. I think the man's an idiot. And I think at the very least, in the most like re real politic sort of way, mm. that's just terrible, terrible optics. But like, you know, everybody, everybody has their reasons. Climate deniers, I got to say, I don't, getting even beyond just, I understand contrariness, you know, and 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 my my wife and my wife and I were talking about this last night, and the problem is like you you watch somebody like Rachel Maddow and they'll do they'll do a you know a tight sixty on on the hypocrisy of people like Ted Cruz, and the problem is the folks. So there's two two potential. It's always two things with Rachel. There, there's two potential audiences for that. Let's be honest. The main audience is liberal progressive cucks like me who go, yeah, right. I'm not losing my mind. Everybody's terrible. But the other audience for that is like, who are you trying to persuade with that? Because I, I, I have a newsflash that's about to ruin the lives of a lot of, a lot of pound sign resistance people. Mm -hmm. People on that side don't see that as hypocrisy. Like it's really important to mull that over for a moment. There's, there's a, there's, a, there's actually, there's a difference in the way people are processing information at this point, and you can trace that as far as you want up the chain. But the truth is, when we say that stuff, it just sounds like we're nitpicking about people who are doing the right thing, right? And so, you know, on our side, we like we can't wait to cancel somebody because they had a bad day. But on their side, it's like I don't think they see it as hypocrisy. I, mm -hmm. I think they 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 mainly see it as just another attack from the liberal left. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying this is good, bad, or indifferent, but I think it's important to realize this. So when you're out there and going like, Mah, all these guys do these things, they, oh, you know, uh, Merrick Garland couldn't get a hearing, but like, you know, blah, 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 and all this stuff. It's like, dude, they think they're on, they think they're on some kind of a holy quest. And anytime you attack them, it would be like telling a Marine that his jacket and his pants don't match. Because let's be honest, <laughs> the, the dress outfit for Marines is kind of weird. The, those two colors don't work together. But but it's 
we think that th that's an effective strategy, and it's not. And I think when you say to climate deniers, you could look at things like what's it called the um, uh, the something effect, the 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 the. Uh, what's it called? It'll come blowback, the blowback effect. Oh, blowback, yeah. Where <clears throat> you think that you can logic someone into your POV, and in fact, turns out the more you browbeat somebody about something and tell them they're wrong, the more likely they are to harden their position on it. Mm -hmm. And but with global with climate change, I I some I don't understand the rationality behind that apart from. There's only, there's only a couple of things that make sense. One is just contrariness, and the other one is, boy, I sure like oil jobs. Austin American Statesman article from a few days ago. ERCOT is in charge of Texas's power, but right. one third of its board lives out of state. Yeah. Of the 15 people on that board of that body, one third, five out of 15 live out of state. Yeah. So, you know... I think you got a little bit of a pig and a chicken type situation here. <laughs> a chicken like say? that, they you say, don't, uh, you don't know. They say that the, the chicken is involved, but the pig is committed. Yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. Steve's done that one before. That's good. Pig like that, you don't eat all at once. No. So I put, I did find the video and I put it up on um, into oh, cool. our show notes. Dan, where where people find uh, show notes for episode five one nine five one nine of your uh, back to work program? Uh, they're going to go to uh, back to work limo slash five one nine. And uh, this is just a video of me driving around in in Austin, Texas, with snow everywhere. Um, well, oh, cool. I want, I'll do one of me on my scooter. Yeah, definitely do that. So, so there were the, you asked about the Wall Street Journal thing. So I here's do. here's the problem. Hmm. Austin Energy, who is my power company here, they were doing an amazing job on Twitter of keeping us informed and letting us know what was going on. They start out by saying, you know, we've got 50 million people without power and here's the area. And then they started saying like, we're working 24 hours a day. Here's our crew. This is what we're doing. This is the area we're working on. Here's the kind of problems. Here's why it's going. And they were tweeting the, I don't know if it was 24 seven, but it sure felt like it. They were giving us mm -hmm. great information. They were giving us updates with how many people were without power. Even an update, like when something comes along, even if it's an update of, you know, like when you go to like a status page for yeah. something, even an update of we're still working on this, blah, blah, blah. I mean, any kind of little bit of information, I don't know if it super helps at a high level, but it definitely makes you feel less crazy Absolutely. and detached. And it feels like they are working on it. Absolutely. And the opposite of that, which super sucks, is to feel like somebody is just not working on it. Like me fixing my Docker. They should do a thing that I really wish the people would update the uh, update the package for Docker for Synology because I really need 19, not 18. Mm -hmm. And it being on 18 causes huge problems that I have to work around outside of that package system. And you go to read the community threads and it's just message after message after message of, could you at least tell us if you're ever going to update this? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, just give my it, you know. My text editor on my let phone. Let I think it hasn't been updated in like five years. Right. You know, it's just that when you feel like you're on your own with that, even if you don't get good news, just getting some some news, I, I think Americans can handle news mostly. Yeah, yeah. It's just the lack of news is where your brain starts to, what you, a person gets emotional. And mm -hmm. I think you try to fill in the factual gaps and mm -hmm. it's a terrible, it's a terrible feeling. Well, you bring up a really great point. And this is something that I learned in my year, early years of doing it work is there would be some kind of like, we used to have uh, a sun. It was running, uh, I think it was a sparks. I forget whether it was a spark one, mm -hmm. 
But those are really expensive at the time, right? They were very expensive. And it, it was responsible for running all the file services and everything else for all of the people in the headquarters office. And this thing always had a problem. And I would always have to, you know, once every couple of weeks, I would have to do something about it. And little things like that would happen. And what I found was it was more important to tell people that there's something wrong and I'm working on it right now than it was, even if that took me extra time to go let people know or make an announcement over the intercom or whatever, even if that would delay me fixing it by five or 10 minutes, they Mm -hmm. would prefer that because then they would know what was going on. When they heard nothing, the assumption was that I was doing nothing. And Mm -hmm. by telling them, hey, everyone, there's this problem. I'm working on it. I don't know how long it's going to take to fix it, but I'm working on it right now. Then I became a hero when it came back on. But if I said nothing Mm -hmm. and just heads down fixing it, why is what's going on? Why isn't anyone telling us what's going on? What is he doing? He's not doing anything. It makes it seem like you and your team don't know how to fix it. (laughs) And if it did get fixed, it wasn't because of you chose. Right, That's right. And so that was the same feeling that all of us had about the water. And so I -hmm. was tweeting like a, you know, constantly like saying, look, Austin water, look at what Austin energy is doing. You need to be doing this and tweeting about it constantly. Well, somehow this got the attention of a Wall Street Journal reporter here in Austin who messaged me and she's like, Hey, can you, would you be willing to do an interview with me about the water situation? And I'm like, (laughs) absolutely. And so she called me or I called her and I was actually driving around the neighborhood when I did it. And, um, and we talked for a while and, um, you know, she, she's like, well, I really appreciate it. She's like, can you, can you send me some pictures of you shoveling the snow? And I'm like, yeah, sure. She's like, we're going to try and send a photographer out to you. <laughs> Journalists rule. And I was like, you're going to send a photographer out here. She's like, yeah, we want to get some photos. every aspect of my job easier. <laughs> and uh, and after like a few minutes, she's like, sorry, no, the, the photographer can't get get to you. I'm like, no, that's that's fine. But so she ran this story and, um, and then I, I, I didn't know this because like I wasn't, I was shoveling snow. I wasn't watching TV, but a whole bunch of people started to tweet to me and they're like, Hey, nice shout out today on Madam. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I found that out later, but that was, and like my mom called me about it the next day. She's like, I saw you on the I'm like, oh, that's so cool. It's so weird how stuff happens. Like I never, who, how? My my family was utterly uninterested. (laughs) And by the way, it's uninterested, not disinterested. My family's utterly uninterested in every aspect of my make-believe job until I was on NBC News (laughs) one night. It was like a really short segment. It was really stupid. I had dumb hair, but like my my, uh, brother-in-law like called me on the telephone. When was this? I saw you on the news tonight. You must have a job. When was that? Um, I don't remember what it was. Probably about email. Uh, it would be probably two thousand six, seven, eight. That's no, cool. Two thousand probably no, actually two thousand five or six, maybe. I was wearing. I remember I was wearing um a Ben Davis shirt and had my my dumb longer hair. So probably then. Mm-hmm. Oh, and my old dumb brown glasses. What Ooh. happened to those? I found them in a box the other day. <laughs> you did. Are those and, the one where you're up on the chair? My son still has that, that postcard of you up on the chair. On oh, board. yeah, absolutely. That's me on the chair. That's yeah. me out in the uh, yeah out in Stern Grove holding a very, very, very large laptop um, in a really ratty sweater that I used to love. Uh, that's a good photo. Yeah. Um, but uh, but uh, I forgot what I... Oh, God damn, my prescription. 
I got, I got, I got to get a new prescription. Now, and you know, I do a lot of things, and I read a lot of manuals, and I read a lot, and like, I just can't see the print on anything anymore. And then I hand it to my wife, my wife, and I say, "Who, who can read this?" And she goes, "I can't read that." I say, "I can't read it either. I'm gonna have to get like a loop, you know, like a jeweler." Oh, yeah, just something or a big you magnifying could, glass, you could, like you could grandma attached to your like with a strap, like um, like I'm Thomas Dolby. Strap on a magnifying glass. Strap yeah. on magnifying glass. Yeah. I love that band. Yeah. Dan, before we learn more about the downfall of Texas, did you want to tell me about something you like? Yeah, I would love to tell you about NetSuite. So if you are a, NetSuite. a business owner, you don't, you know, they, they yeah. know that running a business is tough and you might be making it harder on yourself. You know, that's the thing because you're using something like QuickBooks. You might be using spreadsheets. You know, there are all these separate tools that you're using and you're realizing that you're spending too much time using these separate tools not being able to share the data, not being able to get access to the information when you need it. Well, that's what NetSuite is here to to solve. That's the problem that they solve. Stop paying for multiple systems that don't give you the information that you need when you need it. Ditch the spreadsheets and all the old software that you, be honest, you've outgrown it. Now is the time to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. This is the world's number one cloud business system. NetSuite gives you the visibility and control over your financials, HR, inventory, e-commerce, and more. Everything that you need all in one place instantaneously. Whether you're doing a million or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, you will save time and you will save money with NetSuite. There are over 24,000 companies using NetSuite right now. But the thing is... It's it's a very versatile package. They want to show you how it works and help you You're figure out. You're a versatile out. package. Wow, thank you. They want to <laughs> teach you and show you what it's all about. And the way that they do that is they give you this really great free product tour. So you go to NetSuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E, NetSuite.com slash back to work. You go there, schedule your free product tour. And, uh, and they'll get you going. This is a really, really great system. And if your business is growing, you really do need something like this. So one last time, netsuite.com slash back to work. Go there, check it out. And uh, we appreciate your support. And uh, thanks very much to NetSuite for making this show possible. netsuite.com slash back to work. Thanks, NetSuite. Buck, buck. So the, uh, the last thing that I did is, so for a long time, this, and then I'll be done talking about this Texas no no I, i'm here all day um the the thing the thing about this texas thing that i've wanted to for a long time be more prepared for stuff whether it's power outages or freak snowstorms or other things but the thing is i don't want to like go off the grid i don't want to live in a compound i don't want to politicize anything i don't want to you know mm-hmm. i but at the same well, like, you know and to, to paraphrase you know or say grandpa simpson i am not a crank you know, you don't want to turn into a weirdo, right? Like Exactly. If you get too wound up in this sort of stuff, I mean, look at me and Docker. I'm not happy right now. I can't control anything anymore. Restarting my Docker containers all the time is right. driving me crazy. Right. You don't want to become a weirdo. Like, and you can lose yourself in this kind of thing. And this kind of, and this is just a corollary to what we said earlier about taking care of stuff. But like, you can go, I think it's possible to go too far with this kind of stuff and not catch yourself. And now you're you're preparing, you cannot prepare for everything. Right. It's like liberal arts school versus electronics school. Like, you know, one teaches you how to solve, second one teaches you how to solve a pretty specific problem set. And if it works right, liberal arts education teaches you, you learn how to learn, mm-hmm. ideally. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you read Beowulf or whatever, but you learn how to learn mm-hmm. and you learn how to use a library, as I've said numerous times. And that's, I'll, 
be forever grateful that I, I, it's not that I'm smart, but like, I know that I can be smarter and I know that I can fix things. But on my very best days, which are few and rare, I also know how to catch myself when I'm going too far down a rabbit hole where I am, as they say in real estate, selling past the close, you know, stop, like you can't go too far, yeah. but how do you, how do you know, or how would you know your, I mean, if you'd done this differently a year ago, would you be, have been prepared for this? Well, I don't know. And that's, that's the whole thing is I've realized what this, what about, what, what about tornadoes? What about hurricanes? Well, yeah. You know, what about EMPs? Like, I mean, where does it, where does it end? Well, I don't know that it does end, but I think you kind of have to pick, uh, I think you kind of have to pick what you want to be prepared for or, or how your level of preparedness. So anyway, my, my whole thing is I decided that I just don't want to be completely unprepared for stuff, but I still want to live in a house, in a neighborhood, in a, in a, in a, you know, in a suburb or in a city. Like I don't want to become some kind of extremist, but what my, my question the whole time I'm sitting there for a freaking week, I'm like, what can I do to be more prepared? And, I, and then I started to think about a lot of those things are kind of fun. And I, you know, I like gear and I like any excuse to like yeah. buy stuff and use stuff. And so I, decided well, I mean, to yeah, sorry to interrupt, but there are some kinds of things that like an earthquake preparedness kit for example like you know you're not supposed to do this but if you've prepared and like if you put together and maintain the maintain part is so important or you get moldy water i learned but you um but like if you're that is something that could be beneficial because let's say there's something in that kit you need when it's not a hurricane yeah there and like I guess even you could say like if you had a fallout shelter under your house I guess you could use that to you know as a root cellar and store your potatoes and stuff sure but like there are some kinds of things that are going to be uniquely useful for one sort of situation while there are other kinds of things that would have benefits for you at non catastrophic times yes and maybe you're not supposed to think of it that way maybe you're supposed to be it's supposed to be like a more military sort of approach of like you know we don't use the lifeboats to go make out or whatever mm -hmm. but like I I. I think that that must come into it a little bit. Like, is this going to be something super costly that's only going to be useful if something terrible happens? Or is this something that's maybe even a little less costly and could bring us benefits even when there's not something terrible happening? I, I, right. That seems to me like that should somewhat come into the calculus. I think it should too. And so I decided <laughs> that I'm going to, this was a project that I had thought about doing for years and had just, you know, it's like one of those things like, ah, it's not, I don't need to lean. But now I haven't gone through this. I'm like, I'm going to fast track this. So I, I, the generator, uh, well, yeah, the generator, among other things, I'm going to generator I'm, envy. I your, uh, do. I really do. And so that's the thing is I'm doing this. I'm going to do, I'm going to chronicle this in a video series of my trials and tribulations and, and successes and failures as I try to learn how to be, prepared without becoming a prepper and uh, and a nut job in the process. So I made a little domain. <laughs> preparing without prepping. <laughs> preparing without prepping. Disasterproof.tv is my project. And so it's going to be a YouTube thing. I'm going to film it. I'm going to show myself, you know, hopefully I don't want to get burned or hurt or, or, or anything or to fall off of a, you know, a boulder or something. But yeah, I'm, good. I'm going to try to learn from people. I will be hopefully talking to the people who are out in the boonies and do live on compounds and are survivalists and all of that stuff to, mm -hmm. to try and learn from them, but try to integrate this. Y into, Y2K could still happen. Let's be honest. Into the real world as real practical advice. I'm going to take the, you know, the person who lives out on the compound with the, the dogs and the guns and how they live and try and translate that into like, 
I'm a regular person and here's what I can do with that. So that's in the show notes if people are interested in oh, subscribing great. to the little channel that I'll be posting this stuff on. But I'm done. Merlin, I am done being unprepared. Uh, and hmm. so I'm through uh, being cool. I'm through being unprepared. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, now is it time for um, for these videos? Oh, now, now we get to eat our dessert? Yeah. The work is done. Um, God, kids grow up fast. Um, oh, hey, oh, at, oh. Yeah, go. One last I'm thing. Send you a photo. I'm going to send you a photo of my daughter just for you. Okay. Um, go ahead. The, uh, oh, wait. Whoa. <gasps> I just got a text. My service mm. address is no longer required to boil water for consumption. Really? Now, yeah. how do you, how will you vet that? Do you need to vet that? I'm just going to start drinking the water right out of the. I would drink it. I'd drink it. I'd flush it. I'd go nuts. <laughs> I'm um, flushing over and over. Screw it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's good news. I'm gonna, that's that's excellent news. Uh, but I forgot what I was going to say. Uh, you're so you're going to talk about you. You got your prepping. We're going to eat our dessert. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, oh boy. You know, if I'm on oh, a podcast, that's what it was. That's what it was. Text, um, movies, movies. So movies. We, we did have power, and we did weatherproof have your TV internet toward the end of it. And so um, I, I, f- I found, discovered a genre that I've introduced my son to now. Mm-hmm. Prep school films. Prep school films. So that would be like, um, oh, what's the one uh, where the guy's Jewish with Matt Damon? Yeah, School Ties. So that's on the list. We are, Is that still good? Yeah, Scent of a Woman. We just started last night. We already have Ooh. watched uh, Dead Poet Society. Oh, I heard that's good to watch again. I saw somebody say that on the internet, that it's great to watch with their kids. Somebody it was really great to watch. Is it still and good? It's kind of corny, but fun, right? You know, I... I Captain the, by Captain, stand on a desk and whatnot. Yeah, that stuff was like a little bit... Like, I remember watching... Hold on, now I gotta look this up. When did Dead Dead Poets Society came out in 89? I'm gonna call 89. that a 92. 89. Whoa! Yeah. Woo! Yeah, so I was... 89? Yeah. It's, the career of Robin Williams is so confusing. Yeah, 89 is when that came out. So the thing is, it huh. the parts of it that when I was, I was, so I looked this up. I was like probably 18 when I saw that movie. And it was very relatable to me from the standpoint of the students, the guys that are in the movie. Like that, that made sense to me because I was, you know, as, as an 18, 17, 18 year old, they were, I guess, the similar age. They were you know, in the their end of their prep school, about to try to go to college kind of thing. And mm-hmm. it was, you know, of course it was a different time period. I think it was taking place, it's supposed to take place in 1959, but still it's like, those things are very relatable. Now, when I watched it, I'm in the perspective of the freaking parents. And. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah, and a, fr- a friend of mine, my friend Charles just said this thing of like, he just gave himself a reminder to talk to his, I think he said, talk to his son in 2066. And, and say, how's it feel to be my age when I had to play soccer with you? <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm an old man and now you are too. Right. It's so weird though. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> saying I agreed with the parents, all the parents in that movie are total jerks, but you know, like being like the identification point is no longer, I'm the high school guy who really wants to read poems in a cave and date that hot girl at the other school. It's like, mm-hmm. Oh, what are these kids going to do after that? Or like, I don't want to spoil the movie, but there's a thing that happens and you see the parents reaction to the thing that happens. And now I'm like, oh my God, that, what if that happened kind of thing? It's like Mm -hmm. your perspective is so different. 
in the same movie, yes. and yet the mo- it's like it was like watching a different movie for me. So I really enjoyed that one. Um, but you know, all of these movies that seemed like I remember the after I showed him uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I said, you know, tell me about that movie. Like, did it seem really big and all encompassing? He's like, yeah. He's like, it seemed like they did everything. It was like. It, it, it was so big. It's like so big. It was like the world. And I'm like, I remember feeling that about Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Like it was, and now when I look mm-hmm. at it, it seems like a very small, like, cute story. Yeah, but I mean, there's something going to sing in the theater. It was something like, um, like an epic demi monde. Like it wasn't the whole world, mm-hmm. but like it was a whole lot of one world. It was a whole, that was a big Chicago energy in that movie. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I like when the guys drive the car away. I love that actor. Is that Richard? Not Richard Edson. Richard the, Gere. The name of the, the guy from, uh, was he in, what was he in? Was he in uh, Mystery Train? You know, that guy that's always in the Jarmusch films? I think you're the thinking of the the Super Train. I love train. that guy. Super Train. <laughs> Sausage King. So, uh, okay, Ace so I've got, these, I've got these clips. How are we going to get in, into these clips? So this morning I sent you- I mean, you... is this good radio, Dan? I, I have concerns. No, we got to do This is not going to make a ton of sense to people. It doesn't matter. Okay. I, I mean, think we just is this going to be a production nightmare for you? No, it's done. I got it all set up. This is no problem. No editing, nothing. You sent me something this morning. You said for the show, mm-hmm. one, one of your inscrutable texts. <laughs> what, um, what, what do we, do? I, I, and I have, I have, I think contributed to this. You're a lot like John Syracuse in that I think sometimes I don't know what your plan is. And so I can't really prepare, but you sent me a video. Talk about this video and tell me what you're, what you're thinking about today. So <clears throat> I was, um, I was listening to you know, as as you do when you can't do anything except listen to music because every the world is crumbling around you. I got, yeah. I took a really deep dive into Van Halen, and oh I was just those first four albums are so good. They're so good, and they bring back so many great memories for me. And I was just sitting there at night, just listening to, you know, Eddie's guitar work, and what I realized was that even someone like Slash, who I really really like. You can really, you get Slash pretty quickly. You get what he's doing. You get his style. Mm-hmm. You get, and, and really, although he's versatile, he's, once you get him, it's the same in all. Every, every single song that Slash plays in, it's, it's his thing. And he's really, really good at his thing. But there is absolutely nothing straightforward about Eddie Van Halen's guitar. He reinvented so much about guitar. So much. I mean, that the, even the, just the he's, style, playing... he's adapting things from, <clears throat> from other people, for sure. People like Hendrix, but yeah, like in the thing that you sent me, you really appreciate like what, what like he the was little doing harmonics that he's doing and, and with and... his amp. Yeah. It's insane. But with his role, and also with his role in the band. I mean, he's the Pete Townsend of that band yes. in the sense that he doesn't have a, uh, the other guy that's not Duff, whoever the other guitar player is, uh, you know, or, you know, you think <laughs> about somebody like, um, uh, what's his name? Johnny Greenwood from, um, Radiohead. There are these certain kinds of guitar players that are approaching the their own role in a band in a very different way. Mm-hmm. And unless you're listening to thing, the thing you sent me, which is an isolated track of a Van Halen song, I think it's difficult to fully appreciate like how much he's bringing to the band and like how much like no. You hear Eddie Van Halen, you instantly. Like first time I heard "Beat It," I was like, "Is that Eddie Van Halen?" It was like it's his his sound is so recognizable mm-hmm. because of its peculiarness mm. that that you could hear a Michael Jackson song and go, is there any chance that that's Eddie Van Halen? Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, so, so 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 then did you go down the isolated tracks rabbit hole? I did. I started thinking about it. And what actually, this is because of you, this is an extension of the uh, Pretty Purdy uh, <laughs> experimentation. <laughs> you did it. You hired the best. And then, you know, so like that, I kind of started to just get into this isolated thing. And there is a lot. I don't know if Eddie Van Halen's guitar isos are... I mean, there's so many that I think he has the he has to have more of those videos than anyone does, um, just for his guitar work. I mean, just uh, live performances of Eruption. There's, yeah. there's got to be like eighty of them on YouTube, yeah, yeah. and they're all the best version ever, according to the title. <laughs> but one of my favorite Van Halen songs now, as a, <clears throat> as a grown up, is "Dance the Night Away," which is a song that I feel like I had. I'd enjoyed, mm-hmm. you know, when I was a kid, younger. Well, it was back when you could boogie with style and ease. Mm-hmm. You feel love from across the room. Wow. But I feel like now <laughs> my appreciation for it is just so much more because of all of the mm-hmm. really great guitar work in that song. And so I was just listening to this thing and uh, and I sent it to you and then you sent me a whole bunch of. Yeah, I'm only going to do a couple, but. So which one you, should we do I, first? How do you want to do this? Where, where do you want to jump in? Well, I don't know. I don't know if it, how it makes sense. I could just play this "Dance the Night Away" guitar track, a couple segments of it. So let's 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 uh, let, let's uh, let's hear it and share it with our listeners. All right. So that's pretty straightforward, right? Yeah. Um, and that repeats for a while, but then later in the song, let when me you jump. get later in, he's switching. I don't know if he's doing. I think he might be doing something with phase, but he, he's doing something at one point where, like, he, he really he mix, mixes up the sound, but he also knows when to lay back, which is one of his great characteristics. He could completely dominate every song that he does, but instead, yeah, he does a lot of palm muting, he and I think he's he, you know he uses his volume knob a lot. He burns out pots super fast because he does this thing with his pinky to get that like violin sound. So listen to this part. Harmonics. He's tapping the harmonics out. Yeah, that's such a great sound. So every note that he's fingering there, he's tapping lightly on the string 12 frets up from that to create that harmonic sound. It's the best. But the thing is, this is not his solo. This is happening while everything else is happening in the song, and they're singing and everything else going on. You would not pick on. it out as something that sounds like a solo in the midst of the song. That's also, the point. all credit to Mike Anthony, who, in addition to like being the best singer in the band, there's so much heavy lifting with making their sounds. I mean, I, I used to make the joke of all he does is play like quarter note ease, but like the truth is, like he is, he's so tasteful for what that band needs. So cool. Okay, so which one do you want me to do next? Oh, well, um, first of all, I'll confess to the fact that uh, um, alongside uh, teppanyaki videos and things about (laughs) Disney World Love Prides, um, things about uh, weird music theory, there are certain genres of of YouTube that I really return to again and again right before I fall asleep on the couch. (laughs) And I am a big fan of isolated tracks. And I I don't know, the problem is like, okay, so how can I put this? You know, I used that word a minute ago, tasteful. Mm -hmm. Um, The ones that I end up really appreciating are, yes, like an unexpected instrument playing an unexpected role, but also just like 
knowing when you listen to the isolated track, sometimes it's difficult to even know what part of the song you're on because people who are really good at making their instrument work for the song in the band at, at that performance, um, it's uncanny. It's like the missing puzzle piece. So honestly, like you, you sent John, you gave me John Bonham last week, and I did discover that very same video in my history from years ago. Oh, that's let me suggest, cool. Let me suggest, how about we do, okay, this is going to seem like a weird one, mm. but trust me on this. Okay. Let's go with Paul's bass on While My Guitar Gently Weeps. All right. Now, it's going to seem real obvious at first, but like I just want you to hear what he's bringing to this song. Okay. It's chunky. Let's just stick with it a little more. All right, you tell me what to do. Because part of it is it lulls you in with how simple and dumb it sounds. Like, what is this? Wait until we, I really want you to hear the bridge. That's good. It's exactly the part this song needs. Listen. I've never heard this in the song before. Like I no. didn't know this melody was this is, going. I, I don't. I, I don't know how you that part. And I, I would bet you Paul's playing that guitar part too. Probably. Probably is. Again, Paul was the best guitar player, but Paul was the best everything in the band. <laughs> Okay, you get the idea. But but now, okay, maybe just real quick for a little bit of um, contrast in terms of what a bass can do in a band. Let's listen to a little bit of, I think this is a sound check, maybe. This is John Entwistle's, John Entwistle's isolated bass on Won't Get Fooled Again. Okay. Can we listen to a little of that? There you go. He's a wizard. That's so cool. That bass is so huge, and his gauge of strings is giant. How is he doing this? I didn't even realize that he was doing a little bit of a slap he's thing in this. Always, ev- he's always everywhere. He rarely plays the same thing twice. That bass is ridiculously big. Just stay through the chorus. Oh. oh, give that horse some line. I never knew this was going on in the song. I know. Just like yesterday. So yes. good. That's so good. Like this is the thing. Like unless you listen you to these hear, isolated, you don't hear it. I mean, know. you can recognize. Oh, oh yeah, I can hear. I know that song. I've heard it a uh, thousand times. But like these parts that come out are just in like it's. But it works in the song. Yeah. I, I as somebody who 
came up playing guitar first. I'm like Lou Barlow. Like I started on guitar and then played bass. So of course I played bass like a guitar. Right. I, I tried to sound a little like Mike Watt for a while. But um, uh, you can you can hear. Let's see. Wait, wait. What, this was song. Um, oh yeah. So the song that plays for two minutes at the end of this song. That's me playing bass. That I'm a very guitar oriented bass player. So I would never think to quote unquote write a part like that. Yeah. But he's thinking differently. It's like watching somebody who's great at piano mm-hmm. do all kinds of crazy inversions and implied. You know, I just, I just plus his fingers. How's he doing that? His right hand must be like a. Like 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 two mallets. How does he do it? Especially with that gauge of string. That's a big bass, Dan. Let's be honest. Now you gave me another one here. Um, oh God, yes. Is it? Is and it the, your bird can uh, sing. Is that the one you want, or do you want Unchained? Oh, which one? Uh, wait, uh, Beatles or Unchained? Which one? Yeah, you tell me. Um, the Be- Okay, so the the Beatles one. This is all in notes. Back to work. Limit slash five one nine. Um, you can check these out. Uh, really, just go search for isolated tracks on YouTube and, and enter the name of someone you <laughs> but like. But set aside about to... eighteen hours to do because it, it's yeah. A rabbit so this hole one that was hole. part of a series. This guy, I don't know how people get these tracks. People like Rick Beato. I don't know how they get these tracks separated. But um, anyhow, I would the Beatles one. I'm going to say no because they go through kind of every part of the song. Um, you can play a little if you want. I I think I um I think I stamped it at where the the guitar parts are. And again, Paul playing guitar. If you got time, I would say let's listen to just a little bit of the the Beatles guitar tracks, just like a thirty seconds even. Yeah, hold on, I'm gonna see it. This is from Anya Burke and Sing from Revolver, uh, and it's one of my favorite Beatles songs. Okay, no, it's not going to. Oh, there it is. There it is. T two thirty six. Okay, hold on. Who's reopening? Reopen that one. Eighty eight. I just okay, you can stop. But just like, oh my god, that riff. So good. Nineteen sixty-six, I believe. It's when Paul was in his cool black glasses phase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now we're just being boring and we're now now we're just being that guy. But I um Unchained is yeah. my favorite Van Halen song. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, I think it is the turning point in the band. Like on the mm-hmm. one hand, like I think it might be the apotheosis of the, really the high point of Van Halen doing. Um, it's not metal. It's still I would call it hard rock, mm-hmm. but like very catchy hard rock that really threads the needle between heaviness and catchiness. Now the other reason that this wow, so that's a great way to, to say it. Wow. Yes, because there, yes. Are, there there's stuff on uh, there's stuff on women, women and children first, and on not diver down. Um, shoot, what's the one with the weird brown cover? Um, the third third one. Oh, like there's um, there's good tracks that are super heavy, but like I, I think the other thing is this is also the point everything changed because this is where Dave gets silly. One break coming oh. up. Like, okay, that's going to eventually tear the band apart. Like, why are you wearing sequin gloves three uh-huh. years later? But with that said, this, I think, uh, you'll listen a little bit. Let's listen to a little bit of Unchained because it's just so goddamn good. And I'll, you know, I'll also find the live video in Oakland from 1981, which is one of their best live performances. All right. Listen to that phase.
Okay, so I love this. That's good. Now, the thing for me that really comes across in this song, and I've always thought this about this song, which is one of their by far best songs, you know, it, it, it's is that at least in this part of the song, the main hook of the song, mm-hmm. what he's doing is not technically You could learn difficult. that. If you were good at guitar, you could learn that in a day or two. Yeah. And and you could play it just it's like mostly that. feel. It's but, mostly feel. It's mostly getting the feel right. right Playing the notes of that is not core, hard, but getting the feel- of the slide up and and the and the palm mute and the implied harmonics and stuff like that, like but that's all feel. It's like what he did was he took all of the techniques, some of which he kind of brought out in into the forefront. Like invented or reinvented? Yeah, and but he combines them all at the same time. The only thing that's you're not hearing in this that he's known for is like the tapped harmonics. Every mm-hmm. other little technique, the combination of, of like you said, the palm muting, the 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 groove that he's in, and bringing all yeah. of these different things together, the, just the the melodicism, yeah, like that that little weird part that you hadn't noticed on the song, like if you closed your eyes, you could imagine that being included in so many songs for twenty five years, yeah, mm-hmm. like he like you think there'd be a band? I mean, like, I I enjoyed Rat. But like, do you think there'd be a band like Rat without Van Halen? <laughs> no, like, of course there's not. There's so many guitarists who I think their their whole their whole like approach to the medium is formed by people like Eddie Van Halen. Mm-hmm. Like yes. and like, but the lesson and of course the back to work, the pound sign back to work message here is like, well, how do you become your your Eddie Van Halen? Well, that's really hard to do. It's difficult to reinvent a centuries old musical instrument. Um, but like, it is interesting to think about like, you know, the, the people who like, you take somebody, another great one would be like Adrian Ballou, who's been in lots of bands. He's of course, uh, King Crimson, of course, uh, King Crimson, Talking Heads, solo work. Um, but Adrian Ballou and Zappa, of course, but like the stuff Adrian Ballou did, or I mean, Adrian Ballou, he played with Bowie, um, on one of the Berlin records, I think Lodger or Low, not Low, either Lodger doesn't matter. Anyway, but there are people who are able to take an entirely new approach to the way that you play an instrument. And I think once the time has passed, the context is lost a little bit and it's difficult to appreciate. Same way, like the classic example for us, Dan, go look at, go look at, I almost said iPhones, go look at cell phones in 2005 and then look at cell phones in 2008. Mm -hmm. And there's a really, really, really big change in the way that they look. And it's not just to copy the market leader, it's because iPhone told us that this doesn't have to be this way. It can be different. Not everybody can do that, but like when it happens, you really, on the one hand, you lose the context of like how special that was in probably what, 1980, 81. Mm-hmm. But like you also, like then it does really again take time. There's a latent period. And then you, you go back and you're like, you put things side by side and you're like, what was he doing? How did he come up with this? And there must have been times in the band where they're like, what are you doing, Edward? Like, that's so weird. Like, why would you? <laughs> you know, I'm going to get some sequin gloves. <laughs> Van Halen's good. I like rock music. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
but I love I just I love listening to these because you really get just like the last time we talked about this, I was talking about how big John Bonham's drums are. And you don't when they're down in the mix or if you're listening to it on crappy headphones or on your computer speakers, like you just don't hear that. But when you hear the isolated track, you're like, whoa, full in the rain is like this oh, huge I know. song. Like you don't even hear it and so good <laughs> well those drummers like bill brufer like bill brufer could play a medium pepperoni pizza and you know it's bill <laughs> like there are people he plays in yes and um uh king crimson i really like king crimson yeah um, but there are certain people where you're like uh you know they are so they're so recognizable at what they do but don't you feel like like the part that that plays in the song that you love you never even quite realized how special that part was right. till you heard it on your own. Yeah. You couldn't appreciate how how much it contributed to the song you love until you hear it on its own. Like the little fills that Eddie does here and there, the little little things that you're like totally without them. But that's the difference between Van Halen and another band is that the the little attention to detail that's it's because it's yeah, easy another, to another pick guitar up a guitar from and the just 80s play. Would look for an opportunity to throw in. I mean, like, I don't want to, I don't want to slag Ingve because he's technically amazing, but mm -hmm. like, they're the kind of people where you just want a moment where, where they can <laughs> sneak in and do two to four bars of like balls out burning. Mm -hmm. But then you compare this to somebody like Joe Walsh. Ooh, I'm going to put that Hotel California video in again. I know it's cool to not like the Eagles, but the Eagles were great. Um, there's a live performance of Hotel California from 76, 77. And the guitar showdown at the end between Don Felder and Joe Walsh is, I think I've talked about it here before, it's magic. You you appreciate how accomplished both of them mm -hmm, are. Mm -hmm. And if you close your eyes and have an edible, it's really almost mm -hmm. going to sound like these are two guitars, like uh, like like having a conversation. I, and then you get into the twin guitar attack where they're playing fifths apart. And like, that's, that's, that's Judas Priest. That's like, that's, right. you know, so many bands that I love. Playing fifths apart. Woo, I don't apart. think that... At least in that time period, but I, I, I mean, since then, who knows? But in the in what what you and I and the people of a certain age think of as rock and roll music, I mm -hmm. don't think that there is a guitarist who is playing has more attitude in it than Joe Walsh, and it, mm -hmm. the, his songs, the guitar is so right for the the song that he's playing. And the way that mm -hmm. it and the, fits like the, sound the song, that that, that, that um, a kind of oinky sound that he developed in yeah. James Gang. Yeah, yep. I love the James Gang stuff. You know, carries over, but he's got a lightness too. He's got yeah. a sense of humor in in the way that he plays. But he's also for somebody who's so gacked out on coke, <laughs> his technique is pretty flawless. Like, and not just like oh, he can hit the fret without it buzzing, but like there's just something about like he's the. It's like I say about podcasts, like have fun making fun of people misspeaking on podcasts till you're on a podcast and you sound like the stupidest person in the world and you hate yourself for the rest of your life. <laughs> Imagine being Joe Walsh and being up there and he's backed out on something probably, Yeah. but he's the topicage. Like you go out there and like he's on stage and he's got this setup and people are changing guitars and like it's so hard to keep your head about you in all of that. But then on top of it all, he just lays it right in the right place. Yeah. Like he doesn't go, he doesn't have to go crazy and jump off a drum riser. He's got a bandana and he's making making guitar face and it's the best. Joe Walsh. Mm -hmm. was he ran the, for president in 1984. Was the brown covered album Fair Warning? Is that what you're thinking? I think of? so, yeah. Okay. okay. I just that's the, weird, that's the, the weird one. Yeah, it's a really weird one. And then Diver Down, it's it's good, but it's a little it gets a little silly. 
The video for Pretty Woman. I don't know, man. Have I haven't watched, watched that, that in a long... No, what... Um, the no. Vi- video for Oh Pretty Woman, the cover of Roy Orbison. Yeah. Pretty good song, but like the video is so wackadoo. It involves David Lee Roth dressed as Napoleon and like, two two little people. That's all I'm going to say about it. But it also has little guitars. Senorita, I'm in trouble again and I can't get free. Senorita. Okay, that's Mike Anthony. Mike Anthony, when you hear that good vocal and backup, yeah, a little bit Edward, that's mostly Mike Anthony. Okay. He's a secret weapon. All right. Okay, I think we've taken enough of the people's time. Dan, what's going to happen next for you with this this situation? I, Keep in the heart of Texas? You know, I'm I'm going to I'm going to start uh becoming a prepper and then um going back Is your beard going to gonna grow a beard? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You should make your daughter grow a beard. That'd be so cute. Just force her to, you know, wear a... Yeah, enforced beards. Yeah. <laughs> if you're going to be a prepper, you know, uh-huh. also maybe maybe overalls. I've, I've been doing suspenders. You might want to get your family suspenders. No. What no. about a cult? Oh, uh... Like, I mean, apart from the Mac, do you, do you think do you think there's something you'd want to do where you might want to maybe you should have your own cult? You may, Dan, maybe you need to move out of stop being one of the hill people and go get a compound. If you thought about a compound, I I think that um, I would be perfect to lead a cult. Um, you'd be great at you would be so great at that. Everyone would be so confused. You should totally do that and get like a get like a a Don Corleone house with a big gate. <laughs> yeah, and then you just need a, need a Luca Brasi. Just park the car. Your in first child be a masculine you know? child. <laughs> You need a Luca Brazzi if you're going to have a I cult. No, or I you know. can shave everybody's head and give them Nikes. Go sleep on a bunk. Nope. 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 You like want to be comfortable. Yeah, it's important to be comfortable. I don't want to share a room with someone. But you're inscrutable. You would be a very good cult leader. I think it'd be great. I think I'd be Could you get really like a big wicker chair, like a Jim Jones chair? Mm-hmm. Not a, not a throne, but just I want to be comfortable. You would be comfortable, but also the nice thing, I mean, you know, you and I are little guys. And by the way, a lot of people have been downing my height because of uh, John Syracuse. Not that I care, but boy, you guys are weird. Um, Dan, we're both little guys. What I'm saying is you could do a Peter Jackson force perspective thing. Maybe you get like a Zach Galifianakis <laughs> style tiny chair and that would make you look statuesque. Uh-huh. Like yeah. Darby O'Gillen and the little people type situation. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's button this up. <laughs> All right. Okay. I love you. Love you too, Merlin, man. 